The Spirit smiles and the world is reality. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So God created human beings in his own image, male and female. He created them. God looked over all he had made and he saw it was very good. Outrageous love. The love broken. Rejected by his own creation. Deceived. Pushed away. Alienated. Caught between righteousness and love. And we discover that righteousness is love. And the light shines in the darkness. The word that gave life to everyone enters his creation. God sent his only son. The son humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. For his father's will that we might live. And the spirit came to guide us into all truth. He brings glory to the Son and carries into the world what is the Father's. Outrageous love. So we live. To all who believed in Christ, the Word, He gave the right to become children of God. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He did not count equality with God as something to cling on to. And He brought glory to God. He prays that they may be one just as we are one we follow his example who loved us and offered himself a sacrifice for us we live a life full of love it is a pleasing aroma to God this is real love not that we loved God but that he Love does. Outrageous love.
Thank you, Drew. I feel honoured by that. Uh, when I asked Drew if he would do some movement, uh, we always know that he will produce something good. Uh, but he's really uh, lighting and music and everything that he's added into that and invested in that. So thank you, Drew, wherever you are behind the curtain. Uh, and, um, yeah. Outrageous love. Uh, this is part of our kind of our theme for the year, our theme for the term. Uh, so our theme for the year is uh, what are we building? Looking at the culture of our church, looking at um, what it is that we're trying to establish, the character that we're trying to establish uh, in our church. This term, we're building big people, big godly people. And today, big people love outrageously. And I just want to pick up three points to start with from, from the thing that, um, uh, that I read and, uh, and drew us just in that movement piece too. Um, because the key point here is the trouble with sermons sometimes is that they, uh, you know, they can tell you what you ought to do and we kind of pick it up as our religious duty to do it. <laughs> and and, and we, we do want to go out and be loving Christians, but where does that come from? And the, the answer for us is that we don't do it because it's somehow our religious duty. We do it because that just is God. And that's expressed in the Trinity. Uh, and I'm not going to try and explain the theology of the Trinity because it'd take about a week for me to discover that I couldn't do it. But, uh, but right at the very beginning of creation, there was God who was Father, Son, and Spirit coming together as the Spirit hovered over the earth, the Father's will was brought into being, and the Word of God spoke it into, spoke it into being. We have one God in three, acting in this kind of sort of union, knowing, you know, wanting to fulfill the will of the Father, serving each other, acting perfectly together, um, and yet one God. And we, this, this three in one is really difficult for us to get our heads around, but that expression of God as being a unity, each serving each other perfectly in perfect love and humility towards each other and yet in the authority and the power of God is where the, the, it's the very character of God as he expressed his love through creation. Moving on to how it was then when uh, Jesus came, it was the word who came to fulfill the Father's desire that we might be reunited following our alienation from God through sin followed by the Holy Spirit who comes to then empower us and to be our comforter or provocator uh, in our Christian life. So all that we do is out of the person of God. All the loving that we do is out of who God is and who we are in God. So almost love isn't something that we do, it's something that we are. Our love brings glory to the Father God. So I want to ask a couple of questions. Why do John and Maria Cowie, I don't think they're here this morning, I don't, John and mum and dad are here. <laughs> Why do they go to Iraq and put them somewhere, themselves in places where they might get blown up or shot um, in order to go and serve the people of Iraq? I was really struck at the end of the thing. If you, I think they recorded. David, you recorded on film, didn't you, the the, uh, the evening? Kettle, if you weren't there, look at that. At the end of that, 
they're both going back. <laughs> Joanna's going back, particularly because of her background in TV, to give voice to one woman who was determined to speak out about the injustices going on uh, in, in, with the Iraqi Kurd, Kurds, um, who deliberately chose to speak to them even though she knew she would get beaten up by the men of her family and, and community afterwards. And Joanna wants to go back. And the steel with which she said, uh, it is dangerous, but I don't care. Why does she do that? Why is Maria going back? Why do Jean, Lydia, Caroline go out on the streets of Worcester? Why do they seem to talk Jesus wherever they go? Why do Robin and I invest our time in serving those who, who, who need a birth family? Why do we spend our time serving families and promoting that idea? Why does Sim and Ruth invest in people's marriages, spending time with them, thinking through, working through the challenges that they face? Why do we, Ruth Campbell, the Gilgans, older, the Cowies, the Coyles, the HTs, the Bowdens, the Jelfs, have people go and live in their houses when, they're, when they need to? Why do we show that love? Why do we break all the rules of our society of lending and giving away cars, opening our homes to people to come and live in them, to, um, uh, to give money away. Why does a congregation, with I don't know how many households we've got, 50, 60 households in this congregation, why did we give £25,000 on one day to serve the ministers of this city? Why do we do that? Do we do it to be good Christians? Do we do it to be blessed, to get God's blessing by proving how much we can love? Do we do it as our way of earning salvation? Are we trying to balance the good versus the bad? You know, if you're a Christian and you believe that this is all about how much good can I do versus how much bad do I do, well, absolute rubbish. The word I've written in my notes here is crap. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because when the word of God came in, in, in the form of Jesus and died on the cross... I've probably completely gone off my notes and my slides here. Am I doing okay? I'm okay. Robin's got specific notes of what I'm going to say with the time of the slides, and now I'm going off script, which is probably not helpful. <laughs> uh, then actually, uh, he's done it all. We are just we are united with God because Jesus has done it. So the the love that we uh, that we have is not about what we do, but it's it's coming from the inside out. To give Robin a clue. Loving from the God side out, I've put it. So let me, I'm going to talk a bit about our marriage. So I do lots of things for my family and for my wife. I made a little list here. I said that to Robin this morning. He said, like the washing up. I said, here it is in my notes. <laughs> okay. I put out the bins. I do the washing up. I work out the finances. I'll sometimes sit and listen when people are upset. I give lifts um, and so on. I do all that stuff. But I don't do any of that because it's my marital duty to do that, um, or because Robin will love me more, or so that I can stay married. I do these things with Robin. We do our marriage together. We parent together. In fact, we've learned over the years that if we don't sp find time to spend a bit of time together to be with each other, then you know, things can get a bit touchy. <laughs> We invest in, in our fascinating Monday planning meeting. 
Robin's word for that is tedious, by the way. Um, uh, where we meet for coffee on a Monday morning just to kind of plan the week. But we also find time just to connect with each other, uh, to, to find time to do funds together, and also with, with, with them and Sophie. Um, and, you know, there have been times in the past when I find myself kind of resenting Robin, all sorts of stuff, when she's been ill and, 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 and just not, not there together. And what we've had to learn is that when we don't spend time together, then we don't end up bringing the love to each other that we should or bringing the love into the family and things become hard work but when we spend our time together um, then actually there's no stress in putting the bins out there's no stress in doing something which seems inconvenient there's no stress in dealing with each other's emotional challenges and, and problems it's just about us living life together and our love comes out of that relationship that we have together not out of any duty and I just use that as an analogy as it is with God and this sort of section, I've really got three things I want to say today, and this is the end of the first one, which is that um, I could be tempted to preach a sermon where it says big people you know, love outrageously, or not quite the term, um, to say, go out there and love, go out and do really good things and go out and serve. But what I'm really saying to you is, if you press into God, if you spend your time with the Lord, if you get to know him better you will find it just happens. You love going out on the streets, don't you, Gina, doing all that? Sometimes you get a bit nervous, but you love it. We love our time we spend with lots of families uh, and phone calls that we have and time we do doing support groups and things like that. Uh, the passion that was in Joe... In fact, I, I've always thought of um, Joe as Jojo because that's what she's known as a child. And I resolved last Sunday never to call her Jojo again because she's a woman. She's a powerful, faithful a brave woman who's gained insight into the suffering of those Iraqi Kurds and is determined to serve them out of love. She's not Jojo to me anymore. She's Joanna Curry. Curry? What's your name again? <laughs> Cowie. Okay. <laughs> and actually, it reminds me, I once had a, a conversation with Ian about Steph a few months ago. You probably don't know this, Steph. Um, and I kind of said, she's a great kid, isn't she? And he's, Ian, with his look that you might know if you know him, just looked at me and said... She's not a kid. And I kind of went back and said, no, actually, she's not. She's a mature young woman in our congregation. So where we get that, that love from, to, be, to, to show outrageous love, is because we have, a, we have a different relationship with our creator than others might have. And therefore, we do things that are different. We allow our castle of our home to be uh, invaded, as it were. We, we do give, we do serve, and it's not out of duty. And I'm not saying others don't have love, and I'm not saying that others don't serve and they don't do it out of a heart, but I'm saying that where we discover it from is within God. Um, I'm not going to talk about how we do that. If you're thinking, how do I do that? I'm going to refer you to a talk that Graham gave um, on the 3rd of June this year, all about reading the Bible and how to go about that and how to get into God. I'm going to refer you to a talk that Graham gave on the 9th of January, 1917? 1917? <laughs> You're right, old man. <laughs> it was seven things for 17, which was things to not do, which is don't go to church, don't do duty, but actually nurture your relationship and find ways of knowing God. So go onto the church website, find those, you know, narrow the search down by the the filters to Graham Coyle and, and go listen to those two talks if you really want to get into the art of saying, how do I actually spend that time with God? Um, 
but actually I'm saying being, showing outrageous love um, and uh, you know, loving from the God side out becomes our natural state of being when we get close to that triune God who embodies what is love and what is the character of God. It just becomes who we are. It isn't something we have to strive to do. That, that's point one. It's great. I thought because of all the things that were going on this morning, I'd have 20 minutes, but I've got 40. So relax. No, I won't take 40 minutes, I don't think. So that's the end of that one. And I want to talk about loving God from the, loving from the God side in. Okay, so that's referring to the triangle that we often refer to where we, uh, you know, up is our relationship with God, with the Father, out is going out into the world, and in is discipleship and how we nurture ourselves. And I want to talk about the God side in bit. And I want to show you something that I've not seen before from that very famous passage in Philippians chapter 2. So the, the verses, when we get there, of um, Philippians 2 kind of sort of five onwards is an absolute classic passage that if you've been a Christian for any length of time you probably know almost by heart or even by heart uh, that talks about uh, yes our attitude but we think of it as a kind of doxology of who was Christ and what did he do giving up uh, his right to be alongside the father in heaven and taking the permanent form of a human being in order to 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 show us the Father and to, to die and to bring us salvation, leading up to that climax of every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is that, and that's absolutely fantastic. What I hadn't noticed, which is the next slide, Robin, is the context in which it sits. Because actually the lead-up to that passage um, is talking about um, how we in the church, the Philippian church, Live together, have tender hearts, agree with one another, love, be of one mind and purpose, don't be selfish, don't seek to impress. So I'd, I'd, I'd you know, always kind of focused on verse 4 to is it 11 <laughs> of the doxology part and was just reading this and thinking, actually, that thing about what Jesus did and what he represented and how he is Lord uh, sits in, the, in this passage where um, it's talking about how we live as the church. And how we love each other. Inwards. And then afterwards, which is the next slide, um, it goes on a little bit about out, how we should work out, how we should obey God, how we should not complain. So, um, I suppose the challenge is... Sorry, I'm just going to see whether I've missed something from here. No, I haven't. So the challenge is... Um, to see what God is doing when Jesus came to earth and see what that means for us in terms of we carry out our relationships. And the pattern, both from the doxology that, was, that I wrote, that which was read earlier, uh, and here is that um, the, in this passage, this, it seems to be the Spirit, you know, we have fellowship with the Spirit. So the, the Spirit is working in us to, to bring fellowship with God uh, and with each other. Jesus brings us the salvation so that we can know God. Um, and this leads to us obeying the will of, the, of God the Father. I'm sure that could be unpicked theologically, but I'm trying to be simple. Um, so it's here that it really counts as to where we work out how to live that out in our fellowship 
and how we can be loving and of one mind. And I want to say two things about it. And two places in which we can apply it, if you like. So the first one is this. Have you ever been hurt by somebody else in this fellowship? Been hurt or offended? Well, here's a pattern that comes partly out of that Philippians passage and partly out of the whole amalgam of verses that are brought into that piece that Drew moved with, which is that um, God created us to be in fellowship with him, but we rejected him. So God was rejected at our hands. He was hurt at our hands. He suffered rejection at, at the hands of those who should love him most. The pinnacle of his creation. We deserve his judgment and his condemnation. So what's his reaction? Because this is our model. First of all, he was very straight about what had gone wrong. You know, Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden. They couldn't live in that perfect presence anymore. So there was a reality about the truth about what had gone wrong. But then we learn that he immediately started putting in place a plan to bring about reconciliation. So this is not on the slides, but 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because it was his plan from the beginning of time to show us uh, his grace through Jesus Christ. So right from the beginning of time, he was creating this plan for reconciliation. So he was very straight and honest about what had gone wrong and, and the consequences of that. But then his heart was for grace to find a way of bringing us back to him. And then the triune God that I've been talking about worked together to bring about our reconciliation and our able to live in reconciliation with God throughout our lives. So I've got a real-life example, and I'm saying this with permission of the two people involved. Uh, very recently, within the last few weeks, um, Becky Cox, is she in the room? Got really frustrated with some of the stuff around, uh, stuff she was doing in the church with Jean. Jean got really frustrated with the way Becky handled a particular situation, to the extent that that was going to be a really difficult conversation. <laughs> um, Indeed, Jean was really upset. So, what happened? Basically, they invited a man of great wisdom. Sorry, they asked me... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they asked... Uh, Jean particularly said, could, could we get together and talk this through, and will you help us, Richard? So we had a conversation, which I think was a great conversation. Becky didn't even realize about what was going on, did you? <laughs> uh, but um, we sat in a room at Lindisfarne, and both of them were really straight and honest and gentle with each other about exactly what they felt had happened, what they'd seen had happened, and how they felt about it. And out of that, I think Becky started off saying, whatever it is I've done, I'm really sorry. I'm like to say now, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry is what I want to say, didn't you? <laughs> Which is a great start place of humility to begin the conversation. But what happened was that they were able to hear each other, hear the truth uh, of what the way that each other had been sort of approaching a particular situation, uh, and then they were able to, with grace, uh, forgive. And actually, the outcome of that was a really positive conversation that is probably going to uh, affect the strategy around the way we do worship for the turning and, and the, the turning much more positively than it has been to date. So actually having the conflict and dealing with that in that really positive, direct but gracious way has brought about a much better result than we'd have had if the conflict had never happened in the first place. 
And I think that's that sort of model of being. When we, something goes wrong in our, in our relationships, it is, it is God's pattern, and it is the most effective way of doing it to be able to speak truth with love, to bring about grace and bring about reconciliation, and that brings about growth. Okay, that's sometimes hard. Sometimes things are small enough that we can kind of let the grace and the forgiveness go without the big meeting. (laughs) And we have to show wisdom in this. But I think there is a challenge to us. And I think that over the last few years in this church, we've been through some, uh, and you might not have seen it because it might have been between particular people or, uh, or, or leadership, where there has been some real conflict and we've had to learn to deal with it in a, in a constructive, open, honest, and yet gracious way. And I think that was a complete prerequisite for the growth of our church, both in terms of its character and, and in terms of the, uh, the, the presence of holiness amongst us, if you like, but also in terms of being able to grow numerically and be a safe place for new believers to come and know that this is a, a place of, of God's grace and God's reality and where we can face the reality of our own lives but receive the grace of God. Uh, And so I think it's imperative that we all learn and practice to develop this. So if you're in a situation of conflict with somebody, whether it's now or it comes up, I'd encourage you to think through, how am I going to face this with trace, with my words, trace and with truth, with truth and with grace, okay? Um, And if that's something you can't do on your own, well, clearly... I can help with that, but there are other people, many other people in the church as well who've got the sort of the wisdom and the, and the tact and the grace and the, to handle those kind of situations. But please don't let hurt, unforgiveness, and the damage in relationships continue to exist week by week, month by month in our fellowship because that is what will undermine uh, our ability to really walk in the power of God. And my second, third point, I suppose, second of this part, is do you feel critical? Of someone, so it might not be a conflict of a situation. I was really touched by uh, what Sue and others did the other week when talk, inviting us to uh, pray for our politicians. Uh, and, and what you see, Sue and Steve are here somewhere, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> Steve is not Sue. Okay, um, so they stood and encouraged to say, look, at this time in particular, and actually as I'm standing here this week in particular, <laughs> um, it's you might find it really difficult to contemplate praying for certain politicians at a national level or even at a local level. Um, but, you know, we were encouraged to remember these folks are human beings <laughs> who, who hurt when you prod them and who uh, and are struggling to work out uh, what is the right way. And I, through some of the charity stuff that I've been involved in, I've met a number of politicians and government ministers, and I can tell you they're human, and they're really doing their best from within their own wisdom and their own lights to... to to, to do what is the best thing. And of course, there is selfishness and, and ambition and, and uh, lies and corruption and all kinds of stuff going on there. But frankly, I've come across that in business as much as I've come across it in the politicians that I've met. Uh, and I've come across it in one or two places in the church. So, so that real encouragement from uh, when we're praying for politicians to come at it without judgment was really important. I'm looking at Henry in here. We're at extreme opposites on the Brexit question. Uh, <laughs> and every time he tweets, I go, oh, Henry. <laughs> but, but we're brothers. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, in, and in unity and able to sort of carry that with grace and with love. Um, 
so how do we do that? And, and you know, and Putin and, and all that's going in the Ukraine and the oppression of the Iraqi Kurds and you know, all sorts of situations. How do we pray for rulers and for justice and peace without it being something that we come to with a critical and judging spirit? Because Jesus is the one who said, don't judge. Because if you do, then I'll take the same measure to judge you. I didn't quite say it so personally, but it said, by the same measure will you be judged. Um, so I kind of think the answer to that is also in here. Because if we can do it in here to each other and deal with critical thinking towards each other, then we'll be much better at doing it on a grander scale. So do you ever find yourself rubbishing somebody else in your own mind? Maybe they don't like the way that they worship, the way they dance around a bit too much, or uh, maybe you don't like the particular theology of, uh, of you know, particular leaders or particular talk, talk uh, preachers. I'm sure that's not true today. The, maybe you don't like the behavior of someone's kids. Maybe somebody in your team or your group is letting you down in some way. Uh, Well, we have to learn how to love each other in those circumstances. And Romans 12 says, don't pretend to do that. Really love. Let's have genuine affection to each other. So one answer that I just want to say to that is, if you are thinking rubbishy thoughts about other people... Or even if you're speaking them out when they're not around, that's gossip. Stop. It's no great theology. Just don't do it. Um, I have enough, sorry, Robin, I keep on thinking of examples, but then you're the person I'm closest to, so I would. <laughs> there was a time many years ago, well before we had the girls, uh, when I was, it seems to be a bit of a theme of my life, feeling a bit resentful about stuff, uh, and Robin couldn't do a thing right. And I was talking to uh, Jill Kingston, who some of you know, and we were quite close to Martin and Jill at that time. And um, I was giving it this. uh, And she just challenged me and said, first of all, stop talking negatively about your wife. How are you going to do that? Every time you think of something negative, think of something positive to say and say that to yourself. And if you can't control your mind, say it out loud, because in saying it out loud, even if you're on your own, your mind won't have any space to think the negative stuff. And just start practicing talking and being positive. So I did, and it did transform the way that I, that, that I felt. Uh, and, and in a sense, that was years ago, and all that we've gone through since has put us in a, in a place where that doesn't even occur because we're investing in that relationship, to go back to point one. So um, I think you'll find that if you do that, nine times out of ten, that sense, that f- critical feeling, that sense of negativity towards the other person will disappear. It's not always true. If it, if it doesn't happen, then actually I'll refer you to the previous point that I made. We have to find another way of dealing with it, and that's the grace and truth and tackling it with whoever, even if you need help to do that. So I just really want to tackle today that issue of you know, outrageous love involves both going out and doing outrageous things like going to Iraq or giving your car away or uh, you know, sort of providing food to, to people all the time or whatever it is that is your thing that God creates in you. But outrageous love is also in the way that we conduct our relationships in here. And we do that differently to how it's often been done in the church and in our church, uh, but certainly how it's done out in the world. And, and somehow wrestling with that truth that God is three in one who model perfectly how to operate in perfect unity and service to each other in order to, br- to bring glory to God. We have to work out what that means for ourselves. Uh, and we individually have to work out what it means 
to, to think and act and speak with grace towards other people, even in the reality of facing the truth of the difficulty that that sometimes brings about. And I want to bring that challenge to us today. So there's a slide with a diagram on, I think, which there. So we can love by outrageous acts of kindness, and we can love with outrageous hearts of grace to each other. When we discover the secret of the power of a three-in-one God who is both all of truth and embodies outrageous love and grace. Grease? Oh, gosh. That was a really serious moment as well. <laughs> and grace. Um, who comes to walk that life with us. And I just want to come back to the point I said right at the very beginning as well, that we do this when we walk with God. Um, I've just read a book which I'd love to recommend to you. It's literally called With. It was written by Kai Jathani, who's uh, an American theologian, theologian teacher. Um, and he talks about these different uh, posturings that we do towards God as, as Christians. You know, we see the ritual of coming to church, singing the right songs, praying in the right way as being a way that you know, we can sort of earn God's favor. Or we have the heart that really goes out to serve the Lord and do his will. Uh, you know, all these postures that we have, that, that some are about trying to control God to get him to forgive us and accept us by the way that we behave and the things that we do. But the truth is, we don't have to do any of that. True Christianity is walking with God because he has already done all those things. We don't need to prove anything to him. We don't need to. In fact, he knows the worst about us. So, so there's nothing we can do to, to, to control him or to prove our worth or to get him to forgive us or get into the kingdom. He's done it. He just wants us to accept him and to walk with him and to a day by day live uh, that, that life. The words of Joe, it's dangerous, but I don't care. Because this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent us his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Let's step out and love. And I love that verse about um, uh, perfect love expels all fear, which we mentioned once or twice today. Um, again, sometimes you get a little insight into it. It's not that... We have to try and kind of sort of be loving. It's actually that as we practice love and as we walk with God, you know, we, it's difficult to get rid of fear, but the way you do it is by supplanting it with love. It's the perfect love as we get to know God and as we press into him, as we practice love. That expels the fear, not our desire to make the fear go away. It's the putting into our lives the love of God. So, I've been quite direct <laughs> in what I said at the end there. Um, and there's also an invitation to, to consider how closely we're walking with God. Uh, we do have, I'm not quite sure about with ministry team, Graham, but we have a ministry team, I believe. That be, we've got people who will minister to us. Yeah, we've got people who can pray with you. Um, we're going to, perhaps the worship uh, group will come and lead us in, in, in one more song. And if during that or after the, the worship, um, you'd just like to respond to what I've said. If you know that you're carrying some unforgiveness in your heart, some conflict, uh, some, some rotten thoughts about other people, or if you simply just don't know what it is to walk with Jesus in the way I've talked about, then just do speak to somebody, come out here, 
and we'll be delighted to pray with you and to encourage you uh, and to speak the truth of God into, into your lives. That's me. Thanks, Richard. Didn't he do well? I think he did really well, you know, two days after your mother has passed away and uh, to speak about love and, and some real practical application. 